This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of patellar clonk syndrome from the recon section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Patellar clonk syndrome is a painful, palpable clonk that can occur at the patellofemoral articulation of a posterior stabilized total knee arthroplasty caused by a fibrous nodule of scar tissue. Diagnosis can be made clinically with the presence of a painful, palpable pop or catch as the knee extends at approximately 40 degrees of flexion. Treatment is observation for patients with mild symptoms. Surgical resection of the fibrous nodule is indicated for patients with severe symptoms. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, the prevalence is reported at 3.5% and is even less frequent with newer component designs. Risk factors can be broken down into preoperative factors and component factors. Preoperative factors include preop patella baja, valgus preoperative alignment, preoperative fibrosynovial proliferation at the quadriceps insertion into the superior pole of the patella, which you should resect at the time of surgery, and another preoperative risk factor is previous knee surgery. As far as component factors, let's talk about the patellar component, femoral component, and the thick polyethylene insert. So in terms of a patellar component, a small patellar component can be a risk factor because of the decreased quadriceps tendon contact forces against the superior aspect of the intracondylar box, allowing fibrosynovial proliferation and entrapment in the intracondylar region of the box. A patellar component placed low on the patella is another potential component risk factor as this exposes the unresurfaced superior pole and quadriceps tendon to contact with the femoral component. Patellar over-resection and a thin patellar button is another potential component risk factor as this reduces offset of the quadriceps tendon from the top of the trochlear groove. And finally, exposure of the cut patellar bone that is not covered by the patellar component is another potential component risk factor. Therefore, you should consider resecting the uncovered lateral patellar facet. Moving on to the femoral component, risk factors include a posterior stabilized or PS design, an increased posterior femoral condylar offset, a smaller femoral component. A femoral component in the flex position is another potential risk factor as this causes a more posterior entry point for the intramedullary distal femoral cutting jig because of the anterior bow of the femur. Finally, another potential femoral component risk factor is a femoral component with a higher intercondylar box ratio, that is the trochlear groove extended more proximal and anterior. Finally, a thick polyethylene insert is another potential component risk factor as this raises the joint line and creates a relative patella baja. Moving on to the etiology of patellar clunk syndrome, as far as mechanism, a painful palpable clunk at the patellofemoral articulation of a posterior stabilized total knee arthroplasty is caused by a fibrous nodule of scar tissue at the posterior surface of the distal quadriceps tendon slash superior patellar pole catching on the box of the femoral component during knee extension. In terms of pathophysiology, the cause of the scar tissue is unknown, but may be related to direct trauma to the quadriceps tendon during patellar resection during total knee arthroplasty or impingement of the quadriceps tendon on the femoral component due to an undersized patellar component. The pathophysiology also involves the scar being entrapped within the intracondylar notch during flexion, and then the scar is forced out of the notch during active knee extension. The painful snap or clunk is usually felt between 30 to 45 degrees. As far as the presentation of patellar clonk syndrome, it presents an average of 12 months after total knee arthroplasty. Symptoms include patellofemoral knee pain and complaints of knee popping and catching. Physical exam includes a painful, palpable, quote, pop or catch as the knee extends at approximately 40 degrees of flexion. As far as imaging, ultrasound shows suprapatellar fibrous tissue. 
Patellar crunch syndrome occurs when the scar accumulates around the patellar component, causing a crunching sensation when bringing the knee from extension to flexion. Finally, treatment of patellar clunk syndrome is operative, that is arthroscopic versus open resection of the fibrous nodule. This is indicated for severe symptoms. Keep in mind that outcomes of arthroscopic resection are good, with very low rates of recurrence and improvement in knee society scores. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A patient underwent a posterior stabilized total knee arthroplasty several months ago for primary osteoarthritis. The patient develops a painless clunk when bringing the knee into extension from flexion. Which of the following is associated with this condition? And the choices are 1. Posterior placement of the tibial component. 2. Oversized patellar component. 3. Proximal placement of the patellar component. 4. Larger femoral box. And 5. Decreased posterior femoral condylar offset. The correct answer to this question is 4. Larger femoral box. So a larger box in the femoral component is associated with an increased risk of patellar clunk syndrome. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1. Posterior placement of the tibial component is incorrect, as patellar clunk syndrome has been associated with anterior placement of the tibial component rather than posterior. Answer 2. Oversized patellar component is incorrect, as an undersized patellar component rather than an oversized component has been associated with patellar clunk syndrome. Answer 3. Proximal placement of the patellar component is incorrect, as distal placement of the patellar prosthesis rather than proximal placement is associated with patellar clunk syndrome. Finally, answer 5. Decreased posterior femoral condylar offset is incorrect, as increased posterior femoral condylar offset rather than decreased offset has been associated with patellar clunk syndrome. Increased offset is likely to tension the extensor mechanism to allow the fibrotic nodule to engage the femoral box. To quickly review, patellar clunk syndrome occurs after posterior stabilized total knee arthroplasty by a large nodule of scar tissue that forms on the undersurface of the quadriceps tendon and engages the femoral box on knee flexion. Upon knee extension, there is a palpable and sometimes audible clunk that may be associated with knee pain. The painful clunk usually occurs around 30 to 45 degrees of knee flexion. Several factors are associated with developing patellar clunk syndrome, including patella baja, large femoral box, small patellar prosthesis, and over-resection of the patella. If patients fail conservative treatment, either open or arthroscopic resection of the fibrous nodule may be necessary. Abdel et al. performed a single-center retrospective study of reoperation rates following 5,098 primary total knee arthroplasties performed with cemented, modular metal-backed, posterior-stabilized implants with patella resurfacing. The most common causes of revision were postoperative stiffness in 58% of cases, delayed wound healing in 21% of cases, and patellar clunk syndrome in 11% of cases. The authors concluded that while postoperative stiffness remains the most common cause for revision surgery, posterior stabilized cemented implants provide an overall high success rate in primary total knee arthroplasty. Song et al. reviewed the literature regarding physiologic and pathologic noises that occur with knee motion following posterior stabilized total knee arthroplasty. The authors reported that increasing the intercondylar box ratio decreasing patellofemoral conformity of the prosthesis, using a smaller patellar component size, increasing patellar tilt, increasing polyethylene thickness, and the anterior placement of the tibial component and increased incidence of knee pathological noise. The authors concluded that patellar clunk syndrome can be avoided if modern prostheses are used and surgical errors are avoided. Moving on to the next question. 
a patient undergoes a routine total knee orthoplasty for osteoarthritis. The surgeon uses a posterior stabilized implant with increased posterior femoral offset and a relatively small patellar component. Which of the following complications is most likely to ensue? And the choices are 1. Patellar maltracking. 2. Mid-flexion instability. 3. Early loosening. 4. Patellar clonk syndrome. And 5. Cam jump, otherwise known as tibiofemoral prosthetic dislocation. The correct answer to this question is for patellar clunk syndrome. So if you have good situational awareness and know that we're going over questions about patellar clunk syndrome, you should have gotten this question correct. But to review, posterior stabilized implants with increased posterior femoral offset and a small patellar component have an increased risk for patellar clunk syndrome. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, patellar maltracking is incorrect, as risk factors for patellar maltracking include internal rotation of the femoral or tibial components, improper patellar or femoral component positioning, and an uneven patellar resection. Answer 2, mid-flexion instability is incorrect, as an elevated joint line, multi-radii knee replacement designs, and MCL laxity are risk factors for mid-flexion instability. Answer 3, early loosening is incorrect, as early aseptic loosening is more likely to occur with poorly positioned implants, poor cementing technique, and or cementless total knee replacements. Finally, answer 5, cam jump or tibiofemoral prosthetic dislocation is incorrect, as a cam jump most frequently occurs when there is a large flexion gap in a posterior stabilized knee replacement. To review once again, patellar clunk is a complication of posterior stabilized total knee replacements. It is less common now with newer posterior stabilized component designs. Patients with patellar clunk syndrome present with a painful catch or clunk when the knee is brought into extension. In some patients, a fibrous nodule forms at the proximal pole of the patella. As the knee extends, the nodule is, quote, jerked out of the notch, causing pain and a clunk. These patients tend to present 7 to 11 months after the operation. Treatment options include non-operative measures, open arthrotomy and debridement, or arthroscopic debridement. Costanzo et al. report the incidence, risk factors, and functional outcomes in a series of patients treated for patellar clunk syndrome with arthroscopic debridement. Patellar clunk syndrome patients were found to have more valgus preoperative alignment, increased posterior femoral offset, and a small patellar component size. Dennis et al. reviewed 60 patients who required surgery for painful patellar crepitus. Risk factors included a shortened patellar tendon, use of small patellar components, decreased patellar composite thickness, and increased posterior femoral condylar offset. Sneer et al. reviewed the incidence of patellar clunk syndrome in fixed versus high-flex mobile-bearing posterior stabilized knee replacements. Patellar clunk developed in 11.7% of knees in the mobile group and 1.8% in the fixed-bearing group, with a p-value of less than 0.001. Moving on to the next question. Patellar pain, subluxation, or dislocation after total knee orthoplasty can result from which of the following component orientations? And the choices are 1. Internal rotation of the tibial component. 2. Lateralization of the tibial component. 3. Lateralization of the femoral component. And 4. External rotation of the femoral component. The correct answer to this question is 1. Internal rotation of the tibial component. So internal rotation of the components of a total knee arthroplasty, both the tibial and femoral components, can lead to symptoms ranging from patellar pain to dislocation. Most researchers agree that proper external rotation of the femoral component is parallel or nearly so to the femoral epicondylar axis, with the knee in the 90-degree flex position. 
Proper rotational positioning of the tibial component places the mid-portion of the tibial component rotationally aligned within the medial one-third of the tibial tubercle. Internal rotation of the tibial component causes relative lateralization of the tibial tubercle and the extensor mechanism. Lateralization of the femoral component moves the trochlear groove laterally. Lateralization of the tibial component moves the tibial tubercle medially, which may be beneficial to patellar tracking. And moving on to the final question, patients with patellar clunk syndrome are best managed by which of the following methods? And the choices are one, rest and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, two, surgical debridement, three, patellectomy, four, patellar revision, and five, lateral release slash patellar realignment. The correct answer to this question is two, surgical debridement. So patellar clunk syndrome is usually the result of a fibrous nodule that forms on the undersurface of the distal quadriceps tendon. It may get entrapped in the intercondylar notch of the femoral component during flexion and lead to a sudden snap as the nodule is pulled out of the notch during active extension. Non-surgical management is rarely successful. Surgical debridement is usually curative with only rare recurrence. More aggressive procedures such as realignment, revision, or patellectomy are usually not necessary and are reserved for cases resistant to soft tissue debridement. That's all for this review about patellar clunk syndrome. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.